bow your heads with me for prayer. Lord, probably the greatest mystery in the universe is how that a God as big as you are can fit into the heart of someone like me. But Father, what a joy it is to know that Christ in me is the hope of glory. Father, this morning we're going to be looking at um, whether or not the church is relevant anymore. Maybe we should just pack up and, and do something else. But Father, your word has told us that there are a great many people in our world who still have not experienced the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the church is especially relevant when we are bearing witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray now that you would allow our hearts and our minds and our, our ears to be open to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, I would love that magic stethoscope. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you had an app on your iPhone, you know, a little stethoscope and... Everything you put it next to, you can tell whether or not somebody is a Christian or not. Whether or not God lives, the living God lives inside of somebody. I mean, wouldn't that be a, a neat application on your iPhone or your iPad? I just think it'd be really cool to have that magical stethoscope. We could tell who's a Christian and who's not. Does Christ truly live in my heart or is it just a sham? This we do know. As of Wednesday morning, uh, when I was writing this sermon, the United States population was 312,363,232 souls and counting. And the world's population was just a tick under 7 billion. 6,966,463,254 souls. And I checked again this morning, and since Wednesday morning, our world's population has gained uh, just a little bit under a million people, 823,000 people. Sure to surpass, surpass the 7 billion mark before the end of the year. So of the world's 7 billion people, According to the most liberal estimates, about a fourth or a quarter of them are, are believers in Jesus Christ. Now, this counts people that call themselves Christians. And we all know that you can call yourself a Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian. But just being just liberal for a moment, let's say one-fourth of the world's population is Christian. That means that 5.25 billion people are not followers of Christ. Never in the history of mankind, has there been as many non-believers on this planet Earth as there are at this very instant. 5.25 billion people who have not heard or embraced the good news of the gospel that sets men free. Just for a moment, how does that feel to you? I'm just talking about a subjective feeling. What are those numbers make you feel like? Why is the gospel not more widely embraced? If, if the Bible and Jesus Christ are true, and we know they are, those of us that are in here, and quite honestly, I've, I've, I've staked my life on it. You don't stake your life's career on something you don't believe in. 
if, if, if Jesus and the Bible are true, then why is there so many people that have not heard and embraced the love and grace of Jesus? Why has it been rejected by so many? More personally, why of the 20% of Chandler residents that attend church, by the way, leaving 200,000 Chandler residents that never go to church, why is it that those 200,000 people never darken a church door? Why? There's been many studies made about why people go to church and why they don't go to church. And all the studies end up saying the same three things, the same three reasons why people don't go to church. The first thing they always say is it's too boring. Now, for my money, if church is too boring, that's on you. That's on me. That's on the church. Because if the, if the gospel is the greatest story ever told, it can't possibly be boring. So let's not be boring, right? Another thing that people say they don't go to church is because the church asks for money too much. Okay? Maybe legitimate. And the third thing that they say is the one that really bothers me. The third reason people don't go to church is that it's not relevant for my life. I mean, the greatest story ever told, not being relevant for your life, too boring. We've got to remove that. Church asks for money too much. You know, quite honestly, we don't. We talk about money maybe twice a year at Hope. Uh, if you turn on the television and go to one of the, the preachers with the big hair, uh, I don't have the big hair anymore. If you go to the preacher with the big all you'll hear about is money, right? So I don't think the church does do that. But, but the third thing is the one that bothers me. We're not relevant. The church is not relevant to my life. It stuns me. The church is not relevant the way I see it. We are intensely relevant. Because the Bible and Christianity and the church provides answers for your financial wreck. The Bible provides answers for sex and marriage and relationships, for being part of a society. The Bible and Jesus provide a purpose, a significance for your life, and it also tells you about your eternal destination. That's not relevant. In the next seven weeks, I would like to argue that the church is profoundly relevant when it follows the heart of Christ, its founder, and is obedient to the Christian teachings that we find in the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Is the church still relevant today? I say yes. And the first reason, the one we're going to look at today, is that the church is relevant today when it reaches the lost for Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to be a life-saving station, not a country club. We talked about that last week. We're we're a transport ship. We're not a cruise liner. Okay? So the church is highly relevant, intensely relevant, when it's reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. 5.25 billion people in our world do not know Christ. I I wish we had the, the magic stethoscope so that we could go and find the people that don't know Christ and bear witness to our love for God. The church is relevant when the church is doing what the church has been called to be by Jesus. Now, when I say the church, I want you to insert there your name. When I say the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about Jim and Kathy and Sherry and Tom. You're the church. So the church is relevant when the church is doing what the church has been called to to be. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, before he was going to the cross, 
had this very intense, passionate, intimate prayer time with his Father in heaven. It's recorded in John 17. And in this prayer, Jesus is talking to his Father, but he's talking to his Father about you and about me. His disciples, his followers. Here's what he said in John 17, 18. In the same way, he's talking to his Father, in the same way, Father, that you give me a mission in the world, Jesus said, I give them, the disciples, read you, I give them a mission in the world. The mission that the Father gave Jesus is the same mission that Jesus gave you and me. And what is that mission? Look at Acts 20, 24. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me. Here it is. To tell people the good news about God's grace. Your mission, my mission, the mission of the church, the purpose of individuals and the church as a whole is to bear witness to the good news about Jesus Christ, about his grace. I mean, could that be any clearer? That is my mission and your mission. The church is relevant when we embrace our purpose to share the good news of God's grace. Well, pastor, I don't know if, 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 if I'm still supposed to be doing that. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you breathing? If you're breathing, your purpose is still intact. If God hasn't taken you home to heaven, you still have a purpose on this planet. And it's always the same thing. It's very clear in Scripture. Jesus made it very clear. To bear witness to the good news of God's grace. We do that by speaking. We do that by living. We do that by walking and talking in our world. The good news of the grace of God. I have a, a, a good friend. Sherry and I have good friends. Gib and Michelle Nennis. They live in San Diego. Gib's a retired uh, uh, San Diego policeman. But he's also doing police work all over the country now. Um, and uh, the other day he called us. Now, let me give you a little background. Gib, we call him Gib. He, um, when I, I was coaching uh, our, our church softball team when I was a youth pastor back in the early 70s. And uh, Gib was a senior in high school. And even though our softball team was not a high school team, it was young adults mostly, uh, he wanted to play on the team. So I said, you can, but you have to come to church because he didn't go to church. And so Gib agreed to do that. That's how much he wanted to play softball. So... Um, so after a few weeks, I went to practice early one day. I had the bats and all the equipment. And Gib got there early. And so we sat down by the backstop and we just talked. And eventually that talk led to a spiritual conversation. And eventually, after a few minutes, uh, Gib, right there on the softball field, uh, prayed to receive Christ. Now, I wasn't, I didn't pull any tricks or anything. I wasn't very smart in those days. I'm still not. But, but, I, but I did know one thing. I did know that Jesus changed my life. And I did know one thing. I can share that message with somebody else. I mean, I get excited when, I, when, when, my, when my kids were born. Kids get excited when Cameron's born, right? So you, get, so you tell people about that, right, when you're excited? Well, I, I shared that. Well, fast forward now, 40 years. And um, so Gib, uh, wonderful uh, man of God. He's, his kids are grown. He's got grandkids. But now Gib called us the other day and said, uh, my brother's dying, and I just had a chance to be with him, and I had a chance to pray with him to receive Christ. And I thought to myself, that's the church. From one person to another, to another, to another. That's the church, to, to bear witness to the good news of Christ. That's our purpose. If you ever wonder what your purpose is on life, that's it. You don't have to go any further than that. To bear witness to the good news of God's grace. It's all over the scripture. Now, the word for this idea of 
sharing the good news of Christ is evangelism. Okay, we've all heard that word. It's kind of a big word, kind of a scary word, because when we hear evangelism, we think a big hair guy on television, a bullhorn guy that we don't like very much, the guy on television asking for money, bullhorn guy making people run away screaming, say, I don't want God. So that's what we think of, but that's not what it is. Evangelism simply is means to be an evangel, to trumpet or say or speak the good news. That's what it means. To just trumpet the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, we share good news and we have a baby when we get a new job and we get an A on a test. We, we share that good news and God says, I want you to be that excited about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So what is that good news? Okay, what is it we share? First Corinthians 15, very clear. Let me remind you, Paul's writing, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, dot, dot, dot. That saves you, saves you if you continue to believe the message. Christ died for, here it is, here's the good news. Christ died for our sins, not somebody else's sins. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. That's the good news. The good news is that God sent Jesus Christ to the world to save you from your sins, to redeem you, to deliver you, to give you a purpose for living, and to give you an eternal destination, which is called heaven. That's the good news. The good news is not free tacos when the D-backs hit six, get six runs. By the way, they had a great run, didn't they? The D-backs, that was awesome. That good news is not that all roads lead to heaven, because it's not true. The good news is not Christians sitting around singing Kumbaya. The good news is not just do your best and be sincere. We learned about all of that in the last series. That's not the good news. The good news is Jesus wants to save. And he will save if we invite him into our lives to have a a, a transformed life, a a new life. Forgiveness forgiveness of sins. A life that matters. And an eternal destination that is secure. Ephesians 3.11 says it this way. This was God's plan for all history which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. This has always been plan A. There's never been plan B. And there never will be a plan B. Plan A is always the same. God's people sharing the good news of the gospel with other people. This is amazing. God chose you and me and Hope Covenant Church to carry out his mission, to tell the good news. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he passed the baton to us. He said, As the Father has given me a purpose, now I'm going up to the Father. I give you the purpose to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is relevant when it is telling the good news. And hear this, please. You are the church. The church is not this building. The church is not some amorphous uh, 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 group that's kind of moving around the world. The church is every individual in the world who has said yes to Jesus Christ. That's the church. So, so, so how do we reach the lost? I mean, that 5.25 billion people, that just, that just kicks my butt. God, pardon the expression, teachers. When I, when I read that earlier this week, I thought, man, alive. 5.2, here we think we're doing good in missions and we're doing pretty good. We think that we're reaching the Muslims and we're doing all of that, but 5.25 billion people still don't know anything about Jesus? So how do we reach these people? Let me share with you a couple of things. The first thing is that God gives us a mandate. God gives us a mandate. It's found in Acts 1.8. It's part of the Great Commission. Here's what he says. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. 
Now, before you think that you have to again get the big hairdo or the bullhorn out, that's not what God has called us to. God has not called everyone to be an evangelist. He has called everyone to be a witness. Very clear. Now, I, God has given me the gift of evangelism. But may, and he's given others, Jim Blackburn and others in our church, the gift of evangelism. He hasn't given that gift to everyone. But he's given all of us a mandate, a command, to bear witness for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, being a witness does not mean that you're a defense uh, uh, attorney. It doesn't mean that you're a prosecutor. It doesn't mean that you're uh, a salesman. You know, It means you're a witness. What does a witness do? Put a witness on the stand... They do one thing. What do they do on the stand? They tell what they saw. Exactly. They just tell what they saw. They tell what they know. They're not making commentary on it. They're not saying maybe somebody else didn't see this or didn't see this. They're just simply saying, this is what I saw. This is what I know. When you bear witness to your faith to someone that you know, that you love, basically you're saying this. You know what? I don't know a lot of theology. I don't know a lot of doctrine. I wish I knew the more of the Bible, but I don't. But here's, here's something I do know. Uh, a year ago, Jesus Christ came into my life and he transformed me. And he, and he turned my eyes from darkness to light. He turned my soul from death to life. And now my life has been changed and I know what my purpose is and I know what my destination is. That's what I know. I'm a witness. That's all. I'm a witness. God has called us to be a witness. Now, Jim stole some of my sermon. I'm going to have to scold him after the first service. In that text, in Acts 1.8, it says we are to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is our home, our place we live, our sphere of influence. Chandler, Gilbert, Awatuki, Mesa, Tempe, wherever you live, that is your Jerusalem. God has called us to bear witness there in our sphere of influence. Every time you invite someone to Hope Covenant Church, you are inviting them into your witness. Did you know that? Every time you're inviting someone to church, you're inviting them into your story. Your story of how Christ has changed you and redeemed you. Some people are very, feel very weird about sharing just what's happened to them. Well, then invite them to church. Say, come on. I, I, I know some people, I, I, I know some things that happen at church may not be what you're used to, but believe me, these people are sincere and they love the Lord. Come and hear. We're called to be in Jerusalem. We're called to be in Judea. Judea is the outer, outside of our local home. And we do ministry in Streetlight and the Navajo and throughout our nation. And we're to go to the ends of the earth. That's missions. We just sent Renee McCumber once again to Haiti, her second time to Haiti, honey. Her third time to Haiti to, as, a, as a nurse to, to, to take care of those people and to bear the good news of Christ. Uh, we, Alex and Amy are missionaries in France with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, Will and Yvonne Devon and Teresa Hillis are going to Columbia to do uh, Mending the Soul for those people there. Jim's going to Columbia to build houses. All of these things are done to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ. Why do you do that? Why do you build a house in Colombia? Well, because I love Jesus and Jesus commands us to take care of those who are poor, those who are broken, those who are disenfranchised, those who have nothing. That's why I do it, because of the love of Jesus in my life. Brothers and sisters in Christ at Hope, this is plan A. There is no plan B. If you go home today and say, well, you know what, that, I, you know, he got kind of excited today, he does that. But, uh, you know, that's really not my plan. Well, then you're not being obedient to the scriptures. Don't argue with me. Your plan, your purpose is to bear witness to the love of Christ. That's why you're still taking breath. 
That's why you still get up in the morning, because God still has something for you to do. As soon as he's done with you, you're toast. Well, not toast. You're, you're gone. Hopefully, if you're a believer, you're not toast. But, you know, you get to go to heaven. But the fact is, he still has something for you to do. That's plan A. That's our mission. That's our mandate. God has called individuals in the church to share the good news. So many will find Christ and embrace Christ and forever be changed. And when I hear that, that fires me up. That's what matters to me about this church. When I, we're planning on our, our 25th anniversary on the 23rd of October, what Stacy was talking about. During our two services, we're going to have video uh, testimonies from our former pastors, and we're going to have some former pastors here, and we're going to talk about what God has done in the history of our church. Just since 2004, did you know that over 500 people have come to Christ at this church since 2004? 500 people. It's incredible. God is doing something. And you're a part of that. And that's what we are called to do and to be. That's our mandate. But what's our motivation? What's our motivation? Here's what it is in 2 Peter 3.9. God does not want anyone to be lost. But he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. In the NIV, the way I memorized it, uh, I'm not willing, Jesus said, I'm not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. When we understand, now this is going to sound harsh to some of you. If you're new to Hope Covenant Church today, uh, please come back next week and see if you, it works better for you. But, but for today, I want you to hear something very clearly. Um, there's no exceptions here. We, we talked about that for eight weeks when we talked about reasons why people don't uh, follow Christianity. They don't like this exclusiveness of Christianity. They don't say, oh, how can you be so narrow? Well, I'm not narrow, first of all. It's Jesus that is, so you have to talk with him about that. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except by me. There's no exceptions. There's only one access point. So let me give you a 30-second theological treatise, okay? This is what we studied, and this is what the Bible teaches. Number one, all men are sinners. All men and women are sinners. There's no exceptions. No perfect people allowed out there. It's just a, a pure, simple declaration that we recognize we're broken, sinful people. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. There's no exceptions. Number two, all people are guilty before God. Well, what about somebody's never heard? Well, somebody's never heard is still sin. <laughs> all people are guilty before God. The Bible says in Proverbs, there are none righteous, not a one. Not one. Third thing, there's no excuse. Romans chapter 1, we've looked at that a couple of times. If you didn't hear that, listen to last Sunday's sermon. We talked about how that no one has an excuse in the world. We also know, biblically, that all those who are outside of Christ are lost for eternity. They're lost for eternity. God has literally blockaded the road to hell with the cross of Jesus Christ. If people choose to go around the cross and ignore it, they can but on the other side of that is an eternity without Jesus, an eternity that the Bible calls very clearly and very profoundly hell. I wish I had better news than I, than I do, but that's what it says. And it says that God made a way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am all those things that you need to experience life and health and peace. And finally, that Christ is the only answer. There is no plan B. There is no other way. There is no other religion. There is no other path. Christ is the only... Now, that's doctrinally what our church believes, what most evangelical churches believe. But more than that, that's what the Bible teaches. That, again, if you have an argument with that, I, I respect that, but argue with the Bible. Don't argue with me, okay? I, I had... Uh, I told some of you this before. My, when I was 18 years old, my grandfather, that I greatly loved and respected, was dying of, uh, of, of, of Parkinson's disease. He was just 68 years old. 
And uh, I love my grandpa. He was a carpenter and he taught me a lot of things. And But he and all of our family was the one holdout. He wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Never go to church with us. Never be part of anything we did in terms of our Christian faith. And so he's dying in the hospital. I'm 18 years old. And there is this burning sensation inside of me that I recognize because most people say, oh, he's a good man. He'll be in a better place. No, please hear this. No, being good, nobody's good. The Bible's clear on that. He won't be in a better place. If he doesn't have Christ, he's not going to be in heaven. It's that simple. And this was burning inside of me until I had to go and I had to talk to my grandpa. And I said, Grandpa, I'm embarrassed about this. I don't know what to say, but here it is. Jesus is the answer. And you haven't accepted him. Please accept him. And I was begging him. And Grandpa said, shockingly, he said, okay. (laughs) Nobody else had ever asked him, you know. Okay. And he gave his heart to Christ. Is that burning inside of you? You know, I go to these funerals. I do a lot of funerals. Not only people in our church, but people that ask me to do them. And if it's a funeral of a non-Christian, it always terrifies me. Because everybody's going around saying, well, he's in a better place. Well, she's in a better place. She was a good person. She was, no, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. Outside of Christ, eternity without Christ equals hell. I wish I could tell you better news than that. But that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't burn inside of you, If that doesn't burn inside of you where you want to tell your children and your grandchildren and your parents and your aunts and uncles and your neighbors about Jesus, there's something wrong. You're not understanding the the, the, the tremendous call that God has given you to change people's lives through the power of the gospel. Our mandate is to be witnesses. Our motivation is very simply. All men and women are lost without Christ. And our method, here's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Here's our method. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our method to reach the world, make disciples. Jesus took a huge gamble. He poured his life into 12 men. One of them, Judas, was a colossal failure. The others weren't so hot. (laughs) Most of them doubted Jesus. But he poured his life for three years into these 12 men. And he decided on, and God did this from the foundation of the world, he decided on a mega strategy of all strategies, the mother of all strategies, for plan A to win people to Christ. And that mega strategy is make disciples. Multiply. Someone told you, you tell someone. That someone tells someone. I told Gib Ninnis back in 1972, just the other day, he told his brother, and his brother's going to be in the kingdom because of it. Make disciples. I have a, an email from a, a girl that was in my youth group back when I was a youth pastor. Her name's Arlene. She came from a very dysfunctional family, like most of us did. In fact, all of you came from dysfunctional families. It's just a matter of relativity. Uh, but Arlene came from an alcoholic family, rough family, uh, no Christian influence whatsoever. But she came to our church, and here's what she wrote in her email not too long ago. My life from the time I gave my heart to Christ at age 16 in the Mount McGill Covenant Church youth group has been about multiplying and about making disciples. Now, this is a woman now who's in her 
Uh, I, she must be in her early 50s by now. Uh, this, this is a woman now who, who has all of her life, she's been about the business, the purpose that God has called her to. As soon as she gave her heart to Christ, she had a stamp on her heart. I belong to Jesus, and I'm going to do everything in my power to reach one more for Christ. To reach one more for Christ. That's the grand master plan. I don't know if you realize that. That's God's mega plan. Make disciples. You've all heard the six degrees of separation. That all of us are about six people from like knowing the president or six people from knowing somebody else in the world. Well, how amazing would it be if we use that six degrees of separation, that power of multiplication to bear witness to the love of Christ in our lives? We have people throughout Hope. I see some of them right now who are here because somebody poured into your life the love of Jesus Christ. And now I saw a, a few weeks ago when Pastor Brian had our youth coaches up here, I saw Josh Boydston and Mikey Descoli and Mark and Julianne Levison and all of these kids have had uh, the, the power of Christ poured in their life. Not just Pastor Brian, but all the coaches. Many of those kids were also discipled by people in this church and know those people are pouring their lives into our teenagers. That's God's strategy. Making disciples is not an easy process. It is trying, it is messy, it is slow, it's tedious, even painful at times. It is all these things because it is relational. Jesus did not give us a formula. He gave us people, the people around us. It's as if Jesus said this, live for them, love them, serve them, and lead them. Lead them to follow me. And lead them to lead others to follow me. That's my strategy. That's my plan. Are you living your life to reproduce? This morning we had a beautiful picture of a beautiful little boy, Cameron Bradley, who through a physical union has been reproduced and now we have this beautiful little life. How much more when one person says yes to God, and aren't born physically, but born spiritually for all eternity. If we are to be relevant as a church and as people, our mandate is to be witnesses. Our motivation is that all people are lost, and our method is to make disciples. Jesus had 12. He had three years to pour into them. Who are your 12? Granted, some of them will be your children or your grandchildren, but don't cop out. If you have a big family, that's not fair. You know, you use them all up. You use them all up in that. Who are your 12? Who are you pouring into the love of Jesus? We have a network in our church of, of mentoring. We have probably about 20 people who are mentoring about 20 others. Usually it's an older woman mentoring a younger woman, and same thing with a man. But who are your 12? Who is your network of discipleship? Who will be your family tree? The first uh, man that ever discipled me uh, was a man by the name of Clay Patstone. Uh, he gave me this Bible. It's a little uh, Christian Workers New Testament. And you can see its shape. It's the shape of my left cheek because I used to keep it in my back pocket. And it's all beat up. And I had marked uh, where you could take somebody through scriptures, through the Romans road to lead them to Christ. And, and this is my little Bible, little King James Version New Testament. 
And in it, this is what Clay wrote, April 1967. That means I was a freshman, a spring, spring of my freshman year of college. Dwayne, keep this with you always, and it will become indispensable. And then he gives Colossians 4, 6, Clay Patstone, and then he, then he writes these things. Know the word, bear witness to the word, and make disciples. Clay did his best with me. I, wasn't, I was pretty bad raw material in those days. I was so full of myself, but Clay did the best he could to pour into me. And he impressed on me, even as, a, as an 18-year-old college student, that my purpose in life was to do everything I can to pour my life through the love of Jesus into one other life. Who's your 12? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, this is your strategy. Uh, This is your purpose for the church. 